welcome back to another episode of Anne's Annotations, a podcast about literature and language. I hope you are all doing well, and sorry for the delay uh, to any of you who are listening um, in the schedule of uploading. I was away in a caravan um, on holidays, on vacation essentially, so I didn't I wasn't able to record and honestly I've just sort of struggled to felt feel inspired to record um, and so it took longer for me to write the script and only day that I finally I was like you know what I'm gonna record so uh, in today's episode, I will be discussing the theme of morality, or more specifically, amorality in modern French literature from around 1900s. Uh, I came around to think about this topic partly because I am taking this as an exercise for me to think more particularly about French literature because it is something. I am planning on doing in uni actually, and this is, this is a way for me to practice, um, maybe for like my interviews, or just generally uh, making me think more about text um, that is part of the French literature. But besides that, it has also led me to think about the idea of morality in French literature in particular. Um, the 20th century post-war literature that has produced a very defining characteristic for the French national. The aloof, sort of hedonistic, laid-back intellectuals who uh, who like to discuss in cafes and drink coffee until three in the morning. Um... This, no doubt, is influenced by the disillusionment in the aftermath of the war in 1945 and the ensued blue melancholy that gave rise to the existential philosophy school with Camus and Sartre being the poster guys for this particular movement, I think. Along with changes in fictional literature, a new literature of language also emerged during the 1960s, sorry, with Roland Barthes as one of the instigators, that of the semiologist and the arbitrariness between the sign and the signified, which created uh, or further sort of the environment in which the rise of the general arbitrariness arbitrariness of reality um, can flourish more since what ties to us uh, what ties us sorry to reality is partly through language besides our senses and all of that now of course um there's going to be debate about, like, is it all just an illusion and all that, but that is a topic for another debate. 
Anyway, and if the relationship between the abstract and the concrete is blurry, it would be easy for us to start losing sense of purpose. Some, like Foucault, would propose the concrete solution of language as a mere phenomenon of power and control. You know, um, the fact that it is blurry, it creates a sort of va vacuum of meaning that almost, it's not exactly like that, but almost like it, where you can technically fit in a lot of um, solutions into it and it would still work out. But what all these, uh, this results nevertheless in is the revision of what is morality. In particular, what do we feel about morality? Is it intrinsic? Is morality ever justified? How do we engage in morality? And what are the possible repercussions of a morality? Is it the fault of society or the individual for the lack of morals? In order to come to a plausible conclusion, we will be discussing this theme through the novels The Stranger or L'Étranger by Albert Camus, Bonjour Tristesse or Hello Sadness by Françoise Sagan and Nausea ou uh, La Nausée by Jean-Paul Sartre. Um, so, in all these novels, the main character is depicted as being rather aloof and indifferent towards the convention of morality, especially in regards to the consequence of their actions and its significance. In L'Etranger, the narrator Merceau blames his crime on the sun and the heat of the moment, as he shot another four times after his victim was already dead. Why? Well, there's no real explanation. At least, an explanation that is accepted um, in society. He doesn't realize the weight of his action. One could even say that he is a sociopath, a psychopath, as he seems to be unable to function within the parameter of human society. However, the novel makes the point of absurdism and the inconsequential existence of beings, thus in a way allows for the transgression that is somewhat understandable and even under a sympathetic light. The story of the Czech man inside of a newspaper that Merceau uh, reads whilst in prison is both a contrast and a mirror to his own circumstances. The story tells of a man who has gone away from his home and returned with a large fortune and a wife. However, he wanted to surprise his mother and sister and booked a room in their inn for the night before making the surprise the next morning. Since they haven't seen the man for a long time, they didn't recognize him, but they do know that he is rich. Greedy, the two women plotted and killed the man during the night to steal his wealth, only to realize who he is the next morning when the wife turns up to surprise them. What this story functions as in this novel is 
a parallel to Merceau's actions. It is supposed to show the arbitrariness of fate and actions, thus allows even Merceau's murder crime to be considered within that category, which in a way removes his culpability and responsibility. And ha- as he concludes, the man didn't merit anything from playing that quote game end quote. And the game here is emotions, or emotions and morals. Even the man who has good intentions gets punished. Thus, the world is indifferent. If the world is indifferent, what's the point of caring? Similarly, in Sagan's *Hell、uh, Sadness*. The narrator Cecile, a seventeen-year-old girl, on summer holiday, with her bachelor father and his lover Anne, never faces the consequences of her actions, and even gets angry at times if she gets told off. On the one hand, she does seem rather spoiled and naive, yet she is very self-reflective, which sort of compensates that other half. In *Nausea*. The narrator Antoine remains aloof, and often borderline skeptical and cynical of things that humans do, rendering it morbidly comical.、Um, even at the end of the novel, when he wanted to say goodbye to the、um, ultimate, the name、uh, of the man who calls himself a humanist. And finds out that he has been molesting young boys in the library, and Antoine reacted very, in an anticlimactic way. Unlike others who reacted with revulsion and anger, the narrator wasn't necessarily repulsed or surprised. He even still wanted and tried to say goodbye. Too immersed into the idea of existing, that the narrators can seem rather oblivious to the etiquettes of morality. But the question that these three characters raise is the moral of responsibility and human re- interaction. To what extent are we held accountable for our actions? To what extent does transgression be allowed? Should what kind of trend? Transgression be allowed. What are the consequences of tran- transgressing? Even if morality could be argued to have been made up, would not following it benefit us in any way more than obeying the moral codes? We will be revisiting that later.、Uh, as a review of、um, Hello Sadness in the New Yorker. It noted that these people's lives are just quote chance, impulse, happenstance. This is how life unfolds in the world of Raymond and Cecile. They do not concern themselves with order and structure. They're resistant to certain desires and and the aspiration towards certain goals. Even Elsa merely submits to the sun's power to burn her. End quote. Here. There is a sense of languor and moral fatigue represented through the effect of the heat of the sun. Similarly, in *The Stranger*, Merceau blames the sun for causing him to fire the gun, and the passage that evokes this,、um, that des- describes this scene, evokes at length the 
burning and almost nauseating sensation caused by the hot sun. It seems that there is something about summer that is demoralizing, something about the heat in general that that in these French texts makes summer an amoral setting. And there, the main drive behind this sort of amoral literature lies partly in the sort of existential crisis, not only of individuals but of nations. Partly fueled by the divide as the result of the occupied France during World War Two, France enters a phase of identity crisis where what it meant to be French was thrown into the hot seat. Then later during the sixties, there were where there were new sort of existential philosophy in regards to language, like post-structuralism, and the works of Barthes, the new emerging new novel that centralizes a sort of disorder, disillusioned vision, no care for linearity or the normal character development. All of these fields, the cynical view not only of ex existence, but also at times the relationship between the author and the reader. In Nausea, Antoine decides that his past only is determined by and created by his present. Only when it ends does it come into existence in form of memories. The realization of this results in some kind of detachment as he is overwhelmed with the fact that he is existing. This then sort of leads him to being rather aloof towards people's feelings and emotions. Both being aware of existence led to led him to become somewhat unappreciative or at least cynical towards human emotions and the usual sentimental behavior. Similarly, in Stranger, during his jail time, Meursault reflects upon his past and what absurd life he had led. He recounts some fragments of his childhood memories and a few thoughts of his mother. There, he remembered how his mother often says that we all just get used to things in time which was why he never really visited his mother at the care home, nor did he worry. She has gotten used to it. He finds it comical that humans get so worked up over everything, yet for him, quote, I had been right. I was always right. I was always right. I had lived my life one way, and I could just as well live it another. I had done this and I hadn't done that. I had done this thing, but I had done another, and so, end quote. Finding no real consequence for his actions and decisions, since, quote, we're all going to die, it's obvious that when and how don't matter, end quote. Here, the recurring to be verb really hammers in that factual tone. Again, there is a sort of detachment from intentions and effects. Sure, he didn't have the intention to kill the Arabian, nor did he feel anything anyway. But he couldn't connect the dot between his intentions and the effects it created for those relatives of that man he killed. What With that kind of philosophy, it is easy to take away responsibility for oneself. And that can have some benefits, but it can also be very dangerous. Where life has no meaning, actions lose their meaning too.
Likewise, although slightly different, Cecile in uh, Hello Sadness didn't hesitate to concoct the plan that ultimately led to suicide of a person. Yet during the process, she was well able to justify it in her head, though at times she does not think of the possible consequences. It never hits her until it is too late. Unlike the other two characters, though, Cecile's focus was about her desires and hedonistic tendencies, but not about anything too absurdist or existentialist as Antoine or Marceau, which is why, the, in the New York Times review, they call this more of a classicist than anything else. Quote, morality in its absence is the novel's defining theme, in this sense. Sagan is far more of a classicist than others of her existentialist brethren, such as Sartre and Camus. End quote. But like the two latter, there is a sense of embracing this absence of morality, at least the one coded in society. All three of them opened themselves up to quote the gentle indifference of the world, end quote, as Merceau puts it. And what is fascinating about this genre of characters and ambience and novels is that most, most than not, despite the amorality of them, they are well praised and even at times considered to be heroes. Are we to consider them? Should we consider them as heroes or monsters? In regards, for example, Merceau, he has often been regarded as some kind of hero or at least anti-hero for his pursuit of the truth. This is mainly because he never exaggerates his emotions, yet for me at least it somewhat implies that normal human emotions are often exaggerated. He is frank and blunt, but the principal idea of being honest about one's emotion here is somewhat paradoxical in that sense that it is virtuous to be honest, but if they are that honesty leads to something as dreadful as murder, the virtue of honesty seems to lost its ground, since it did since what Merceau is truly condemned for is, quote, behaving at his mother's funeral in a way that showed he was already a criminal at heart, end quote. Essentially, he failed to follow the moral etiquettes of human society, which includes the grievance of one's parents. Therefore, in the eye of society and the human law, what the one who can't follow those etiquettes and gives no understandable reason is considered to be a monster, or at least a threat. Not necessarily because they are plainly vile, but that they pose a threat to the status quo of morality. Especially in order to live harmoniously to a degree, there needs to be some sort of code of conduct that helps us humans navigate life. If one fails to do that, one can have the potential of creating a domino effect on the rest. That is what, in my opinion, makes a real crime. Similarly, in Nausea, Antoine is at times considered to be a hero of a sort, for being more enlightened. By a, but then others. But unlike Merceau, he doesn't necessarily revolt against the meaningless. Only up until the end where he gives a plausible method, writing a novel. 
But this enlightenment is the result of social isolation and seclusion, which, although allows him to perhaps know the truth about reality, it hinders his ability to connect with others. In a way, it is like the allegory of the cave by Plato, I think, where the man who has been able to get out and see the sun, and tries to convince everyone else to follow him, is from the outside seen as a hero, for finding the truth. But for those left in ignorance, in comparison with the man, he is a monster. Maybe in this, this conflict is partly due to the meaning of what a hero is. Indeed, in the literary sense, hero or protagonist of a text, then yes, there are heroes. But in the sense that they are virtuous and just, in the traditional sense of a hero, they are not really. But maybe an anti-hero would suit them more. And finally, in Hell Sadness, I feel the same applies here. And I feel like from these texts um, of the 20th century, France, this sort of atmosphere became quite well known as a part of the French intellectual milieu. And I can't help but feel at times that, especially with Sargon and Hell Sadness, that it feels that stereotypical image of a French intellectual brasé along with the tradi tradition of cafes. As we see through these, morality is it's functional. It's almost, I feel like you can approach it with a functional and pragmatic way. Based on, you know, um, cases, uh, scenarios from these texts. That morality is justified in the sense that it is practical. It is helpful for maintaining a society to have standards. The repercussions, well, they um, will be threats to the stability of the community. And often, I think, the way the novels and these texts are set up, it seems like the re product is more of their own intellectual reasoning. Um, because they, none of these texts really have, especially with Camus and Sartre, None of these texts really have any moment that you think, yes, that experience probably influenced their way of thinking. There may be implications, but there's no real case for why did they end up the way they are. And I wouldn't even argue it's society's fault. It's, I think, it's a lot of things in general. But um, but I def definitely think that a huge part, especially the way that these texts are set up, it is mainly from the characters. Anyway, as we can see, there is a sort of fine line in this theme of immorality with this 20th century um, literature, particularly in regards to the work of Camus, Sartre and Sagan, on the one hand, it is celebrated for its virtues of unmasking the hypocritical side of human humanity, as well as touching on perhaps some kind of aspect that we all have but hide well. Yet, on the other, it is nevertheless destructive for the stability of society, of the community. As a result, it is also quite hard to categorize these characters as heroes 
or monsters, especially with Sagan and the new novel movement, where it makes it harder since the format revolts against the idea of a hero or protagonist. Anyway, these are my thoughts um, on these three texts and my sense that you know they've got a common theme of that lack of morality at least a subverted version like a perverted version um and yeah those are my thoughts uh let me know what you guys think um about it like and also um you know this is this is my interpretation uh, also the allegory of the cave um i don't remember on the spot to be honest I might have misinterpreted it, but um, there you go. If it, I, I have gotten anything wrong, do tell me. Um, if you go, I think on my podcast page, you can sort of directly message through that and sort of add a comment. And to be honest, having some um, sent in feedbacks like that for me would be lovely. First of all, to know that actually someone listened to the whole podcast, I guess, and also just to, you know, what kind of things you would, suggestions, like what kind of stuff would you guys want me to talk about, um, and just your ideas in general of the things I've touched upon in my podcast, um, and yeah, I hope you are all doing well, and, um, since actually I'm a student, I have recently gone back to school, which is fun. Uh, it's quite tiresome, to be honest. Quite a tiresome, tired. Um, and because of that as well, I don't know if I can, I, I can actually keep up with this schedule. Because even though it's two once every two weeks, you know, I still need to read um, eval- you know, analyze and then write up a script. But I'll try my best. And yeah, anyway, hope you guys are doing well. And I'll see you soon, hopefully.